When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. I like to think of myself as a pretty forward-thinking aquarist, and sometimes it starts with just embracing the idea of something a little bit old, like throwback conditions for my fishes. You know, uh, trying to keep them under environmental conditions, which replicate on as many levels as possible, those under which they've evolved over millions of years. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time over the decades playing with the idea of replicating, at least in part, some of the natural environmental conditions under which our fishes have evolved. In fact, one could say that the whole mission of Tannin Aquatics has been to emphasize the practice of replicating, on a number of levels, such conditions. I think that's fair enough. As a lover of brackish water habitats, I've spent a lot of time over the years researching suitable fishes and other aquatic organisms from this environment for aquarium keeping. It's a really fascinating world. and. I'm coming back to it because it, it emphasizes something that I think is very interesting that uh, we know but sort of don't talk about a lot. Um, you know, the brackish world it pulled me in from an early age. I was always fascinated by something about the mix of ocean and, and fresh water. And along the way, I've learned a few things. Um, I did some field work. I remember vividly really pissing off some of my surfing buddies on a trip to Fiji quite a few years ago. I was paddling away from this pristine reef where the waves were breaking. Uh, to go to this stifling, smelly mangrove thicket. Apparently, I later found out it was filled with alligators, just to search for little fishes that might be uh, hanging out there. In years of searching, I've stepped in a lot of smelly mud, even collected a mosquito bite or two or three along the way, as most of you have when you do that kind of exploring. And I've developed some opinions after seeing these habitats up close and personal. Now, personally, I think that brackish water habitats are home to more fishes than we think as hobbyists, but it's a bit confusing. Now, sure, many fishes can adapt to brackish water conditions, but I'm more fascinated by the fishes which are actually found naturally in these environments. And it's always interesting when you can find out that a fish which you've previously dismissed as not having typically come from this actually does come from it naturally. And there are a lot of examples of fishes which fit in this category in the hobby. And part of it's because there's some misinformation. I believe and absolutely believe one of the big factors which is limiting the popularity of brackish water aquariums in the first place in the hobby is the lack of availability and or information about the origins of the fishes which may have been kept in such aquariums. Based on a recent informal survey I did on our Instagram feed, it seems like a lot of hobbyists are sold on the idea of a brackish tank, but aren't necessarily sure which fishes we can keep in them. It's an interesting dichotomy for sure. The environments are compelling. Hobbyists are fascinated by brackish systems, yet the mystery about where you know which fishes actually come from these habitats continues to be an issue it haunts us there are opinions misinterpretations and downright misconceptions among hobbyists about what fishes are actually from brackish habitats versus adaptable to them and of course there's a lot of surprises along the way one of those happy surprises is our good friend the endler's live bear posilia wingai this popular fish is widely kept under you know typical black water uh, typical live bear i'm so caught up on black water i think I've seen blackwater after everything. Typical live bearer conditions in the aquarium. You know, higher pH and hard water, that kind of thing. 
Uh, and for years, I was convinced that the fish was found exclusively in these types of habitats in the wild until I dug a bit deeper. During my research, I learned that not only are there a lot of different uh, locations where these fishes are found, but I learned that there are a number of wild populations uh, from their native Venezuela, which apparently inhabit mildly brackish water, coastal lagoons, and estuaries. For example, Laguna de las Patos near Cumana, which has definite ocean influence, although it is far less salty than researchers thought it might have been in the past, is home to a population of these fishes. And the wild populations residing there might very well be considered endangered or at least limited, which I also think is interesting. Now, this stuff's not, you know, revolutionary from a hobby standpoint. It seems like we've known this for some time and endlers enthusiasts are aware of this, yet it's just not discussed all that often. And although the fish are most adaptable, we don't hear that much about keeping them in what we'd call brackish conditions, like the specific gravity of 1.003 to, say, 1.010. It's just not, you know, something we talk about a lot. It's, but it is interesting to ponder and get your head around. It seems to me like the brackish water habitat for this species has not really been embraced much from a hobby standpoint. Why do you think that is? I think I have an idea why, and I suppose it makes sense too. It's because it's far simpler to just give these fishes harder alkaline water than to mess with adding salt to their tanks for a lot of hobbyists. Let's face it, the idea of mixing salt and monitoring specific gravity is a big pain and even a bit intimidating for a lot of hobbyists who are not indoctrinated into this practice. I think that's also part of the reason why there's this you know, aura that you know, keeping a reef or a marine aquarium is somehow more difficult and that only the, the smartest, most capable hobbyists you know, can do that. And trust me, Having spent decades in the reef aquarium world, I can tell you that some of the stupidest hobbyists I've ever met are in that field. So don't feel bad if you don't be intimidated by a, a, a drometer or a refractometer or, you know, test kits. Not, not worth it. So, you know, and now this fish, back to the fish, you know, now it's having been domesticated and selectively bred for decades. The wild populations are apparently scant, as is the natural habitat data. So Indeed, confirming with great certainty that they're still even occurring in these types of habitats is difficult at best and downright sketchy at worst. In general, the question about adding salt to live bear tanks has been debated for a long time, and there's many views on the subject. If you actually get out and just Google the topic, you'll literally see directly contradictory references on the first page of the search. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you should. No, you shouldn't. It's really funny. So are live bears found in brackish conditions? Well, sure, many species are. Or one could safely say that some populations of many species are found in brackish conditions. Obviously, the ultimate way to determine if you should or should not add salt to an endlers or other live bearer tank would be to consider the natural habitats of the population you're working with. That's easier with wild fish than, of course, the domesticated versions. And again, I think the debate around salt and live bearers is going to go on forever. But it brings up that interesting point about, you know, sort of throwback conditions that I've talked about before. I think the debate about this stuff is just sort of indicative of where we are in the hobby. Yet with the increasing popularity of brackish water aquariums and our continuous development of our, you know, brackish section here at uh, Tannen Estuary, uh, wait until you see, by the way, what we're going to be doing with it in 2021. It's going to be pretty cool. We're hoping to see more experiments along this line for many different species of fishes. Uh, I know that's something we've worked with for a while. We've did some demo tanks and so forth, but I think I, I really um, haven't pushed that uh, envelope too too much farther after my uh, initial exposure to, to you know to this stuff for everybody. So I think we're going to do more uh, now. You know, I've always been sort of a fan of readapting even captive bred specimens of all sorts of fishes like blackwater origin kerosens, etc., 
to more natural conditions. Well, natural from perhaps a few dozen generations back. I'm of the opinion that even domesticated fishes can benefit from providing them with conditions more reminiscent of those found in the natural habitats from which they evolved. I think that's something that's fundamental and it's something that's very interesting. Yet, I'm a stubborn a-hole. <laughs> I'll never buy into the thought that, you know, a few dozen generations of captive you know, breeding will erase millions of years of evolutionary adaptation to specific habitats and that readapting them to these conditions is somehow detrimental. Perhaps the ultimate example of this is the discus, which has been bred for decades in hard alkaline water. And people say, yeah, they can adapt. I, they can. I can't help but wonder, though, is there some benefit to keeping them in the natural conditions under which they've evolved? Is there a benefit, a health benefit, a color benefit? Does it unlock something? Don't know. Can't tell you, but I can't think it's harmful either. I mean, is the idea of repatriating them to conditions more like those which they evolved under for eons somehow detrimental after just a few dozen generations of captive breeding? I don't think so, personally. I'm sort of convinced that the rationale here is that it's simply easier for more hobbyists to provide them with tap water conditions than it is to manipulate water chemistry for the purpose of recreating some of the more natural conditions from which the fishes have evolved under. I really think that. In the end, there's a lot of variables in the equation, but I think that the Endler's discussion is just another example of fishes which could benefit you know, from experimenting with throwback conditions. Now, I'm by no means anything close to an expert or even considerably knowledgeable on these fishes, and my opinions are just that, opinions, based on sort of an outsider's observation. Yet the idea is compelling, isn't it? And based on my experience with other fishes like carasins and tetras and knife fishes and cichlids and so forth, there's a lot to be said about this. Commercially, it may not be practical to do this, but for the hobbyists with the time and inclination, it would be interesting to see where it takes you. I think we're really proud as a company here at Tannin to offer the materials that allow you to, you know, replicate and inform and function some of these natural habitats. And I want to encourage them to facilitate more research into this really exciting area. I realize that it's difficult to recreate every aspect of the many different wild habitats that we find, you know, compelling. Not everyone has the patience, the means, or even the desire to keep their rasbora at 4.3 pH to replicate the peat swamp environment from which they come or whatever. Yet most of us can make impactful changes to the way we keep such fishes and experiment with creating more authentic environmental conditions for them on many levels. I look forward to many more discussions and experiments and, you know, ideas that help bring more natural conditions to domesticated fishes and perhaps maybe unlocking some more secrets or perhaps simply acknowledging what we all know. There's truly no place like home. Stay open-minded, stay adventurous, stay experimental, stay resourceful, stay creative, and stay relentless in your pursuit of information. And always stay wet. Till next time, this is Scott Bellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.